Vamos. Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1984 film Ghostbusters Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm ready. And today we have a very special guest. In fact, we have a special guest for every episode this week, and we are super excited for her to be here. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Crystal Beth. Hi! Hi! I'm so excited! (laughs) We're very excited to have you here, Crystal. Thank you so much for uh, for finally coming on our show. I know we just asked you last week, and you kind of are the (laughs) uh, queen of minute-by-minute podcasting, right? It's my, the, I think I've said it before on at least one of the Facebook groups, but it's the, my favorite part of my life right now. Oh, that's fantastic. So, Crystal, for uh, some of the audience listeners out there who maybe uh, uh, have a problem with their brain and they haven't gone over to listen to Star Wars Minute or Back to the Future Minute and they might not know who you are yet, uh, can you give a little background about uh, who you are and what it is you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Crystal Beth, and I am obviously a movie buff. I've watched all the movies and love them. So my mom said that nothing would come from that. But look at me. I'm on all the podcasts now. Um, And I also host a video game podcast uh, called Unlimited Lives. So that's pretty much it. And then I do comedy in New York City. I try to do comedy in New York City. So this is really cool for us because, you know, Ghostbusters is one of the big New York movies. And up until this point, we've had a few special guests on, but nobody actually from New York. So we're really going to be leaning heavy on you to give us the real New York experience and tell us how authentic Ghostbusters is to the regular day in, day out in New York that you experience. Oh, well, you know what? I don't go outside in the city because it's awful. So it's all oh. I know from New York is for what I see in Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> That's, what I'm That's actually awesome. not true, though. I uh, Every time I'm in Central Park, no matter where I am, no matter when I always look for the Ghostbusters building. Always. Is it kind of like your uh, North Star in New York to wherever you go? (laughs) It's how I know where I'm going. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, hey, if you guys are ready, we can go ahead and jump on into this minute. How about that? I love it. Awesome. Okay, so minute number 60. So if you're joining the podcast for the first time because you're a huge Crystal Beth fan and you follow her and do everything, all the podcasts that she does, uh, thank you for joining us. Just a little bit of background on what it is we do here. Uh, we will recap the previous minute, and then we will go over uh, this particular minute, which is minute number 60 today. And after that, we'll open the floor for some general banter and discussion about the minute. So in the previous minute, we saw a fully possessed Lewis Tully stumble his way out of Central Park before running into a horse-drawn carriage and confusing the horse for Zool. <laughs> As Lewis slash Vins ran off screen, he screamed something about how everyone would perish in flames. At minute 60, as Lewis runs off screen, we cut back to the carriage driver who says, what an asshole. From there, we cut to a shot of the police o- a police officer knocking on the front door of the Ghostbusters headquarters. The door is answered by Janine Melnitz, who asks the police officer, dropping off or picking up? The officer responds, dropping off. Janine asks the officer to hold on and closes the door. At 6017, we cut to a wider shot of the hook and ladder number 8 building in Tribeca, where a police paddy wagon has pulled up in front of Ghostbusters headquarters. Lewis Tully can be seen sitting in the back of the van. At 6020, the front door of the building opens and Egon sticks his head out. The cop asks if he is a Ghostbuster. Egon confirms and tells the cop that they picked up, excuse me, Egon confirms and the cop tells Egon that they picked up Lewis and don't know what to do with him. The cop says that Bellevue doesn't want him and that they are afraid to put him in lockup. He tells Egon that he knows the Ghostbusters are into this sort of stuff. Egon approaches the pack of the paddy wagon. At 6033, we cut to a closer shot of the back of the paddy wagon, where Lewis looks disheveled and is being restrained by a straitjacket. Lewis looks at Egon and asks if he is the gatekeeper. Egon pulls out his PKE meter and takes a reading of Lewis. The meter lights up like a Christmas tree. Egon tells the police officer that they better bring him inside. At 60 minutes, 45 seconds, Janine tells Egon that he is so kind to take care of Lewis and he is a real humanitarian. Egon responds by 
saying that he doesn't think Lewis is human. <laughs> at 60 minutes, 50 Sorry. seconds. Oh, it's quite all right. It's, hey, it's, it's, it's a comedy. We expect for everybody to like uh, at 60 minutes, 50 seconds, we cut to a shot of Lewis wearing a nickel-plated colander on his head. The colander has all sorts of electronic leads and wiring attached to it. On a thermal, monitor, a thermal monitor on the right side of the screen, we can see a thermal readout of a terror dog's profile displayed on the screen. As Lewis turns his head, so does the terror dog. At 60 minutes, 59 seconds, Egon asks Lewis what he said his name was. And thus ends minute number 60 of Ghostbusters. So... Uh, at this point, we're kind of getting into the further uh, escalation of the paranormal activity in New York. Yeah, we have both Dana Barrett and Lewis completely possessed by this point, and uh, things are about to escalate, escalate even further from here. Now, before we go any further into it, I, I have to stop real quick, uh, because usually at the top of the show, Crystal, we ask everybody uh, what their kind of experience is with Ghostbusters and what their baggage they're bringing to the podcast as far as that franchise goes. So tell me real quick, what was your first experience with Ghostbusters? and how has it played a role in your life? I actually saw Ghostbusters pretty late compared to all my other top favorite movies. I saw it in college for the first time. Oh, wow. I, I know, really, really late. I think I'd seen bits and pieces of it when I was younger, but when I actually first sat down and watched the whole thing, I was really good friends with these two film major guys that I hung out in their uh, dorm all the time, and one of them had a full Ghostbusters uh, Halloween costume, proton pack and everything, and um, I watched it with them. They were like, you, have, you haven't seen this? You're a monster. <laughs> so I, uh, because I pride myself in watching all the movies. And that was just one that kept, you know, when things keep slipping under the radar and it yeah. takes you forever to see them because you want to be in the right spot after you realize how good it is. Absolutely. It was like, I have to see it when it's a good time. And that was the perfect time to see it. And uh, I loved it. I love it more every time I watch it, honestly, because especially after doing comedy and focusing on comedy writing, it's so smart. Yeah. It's such a smart, funny movie. And every single time I watch it, I laugh and watching it just today, right before this little parts that I wasn't laughing at or didn't laugh at before I was laughing at again today. It was, ugh. it's just great. It's a good movie. Bill Murray's hilarious. I love Egon yeah. though. He's my, he's my heart. There, yeah, Egon seems to be the cult favorite uh, around around uh, the Ghostbusters fandom. That you know, I think especially in you know the the current climate where you know science is so cool and everybody loves scientists and stuff like that. Egon seems to be like the the favorite Ghostbuster. But um, right, uh, yeah. So be, so being a comedy writer, that's interesting. You say that uh, we had a friend of ours on the show, a screenwriter uh, named Mark Landry, uh, who kind of went over how this is a screenplay that is uh, referenced constantly in screenwriting classes is kind of like one of the perfect screenplays for comedy. Like the pacing of it is perfect, uh, you know, where everything comes, you know, like you know, all your characters introduced by page 15, you know, you have your, you know, middle point. It's basically following like the save the cat model of screenwriting. Yes. To a yeah. Uh, when you write comedy, do you, you think about the structure of Ghostbusters? I I work in shorter, so I do oh. more sketches and things. Mm -hmm. But the thing I like about Ghostbusters is that they let the comedy sit. They don't rush anything, and they don't mm -hmm. force jokes down your throat. They let the character's natural behavior dictate what's going to be funny. And I, when I write, I'm not good at premise or developing comedy on my own, but I really like fleshing out characters. Right. And if you just let a character hang out with itself, it's going to be funny because every. Truth is in comedy and or the comedy's 
truth, find the truth in comedy. And that's <laughs> when you're going to get the, your best stuff. So the more I focus on my characters and let them kind of figure everything out, the better it comes from. And that's what Ghostbusters is like to watch. Very, very, very yeah. character driven. I mean, this is like, um, a canvas that they just threw these characters up on and let them exist and be funny in that in that regard. Uh, Scott Corelli from uh, Back to the Future Minute was kind of comparing Ghostbusters to uh, Broad City at one point and just saying that like the scenarios and the schemes they find themselves in are funny, sure, but the, the more enduring parts of those scenarios are just those characters. And they're, right. they're doing what they do, so... That's I think of that and also the television uh, the television show Modern Family. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Those characters you don't even need to write them anymore. Every time I watch that TV show, I'm like, you don't need they don't even need writers because the characters know who they are so much. You can put either of them in a room together and it's going to be funny because they know who they are. The characters are so fleshed out and the episodes are so predictable. But I never stop laughing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's oh, I love character driven stuff. It's my favorite thing. Well, you know, it's it's funny you say that you saw this late in life uh, because one thing we've kind of talked about here on the show um, is that comedy really works best when it is written. You know, that's the half life on like a, a comedic movie is maybe like five to ten years, except for a few standouts. There's you know some Marx Brothers stuff that stands out, and you know Ghostbusters seems to be one that worked in the 1980s, worked in the 1990s, you know, into the 2000s. It, it continues to have such a strong fandom, not because of the uh, nostalgia it brings when we watch it, but it holds up, you know, right. because I think like you're saying here, it is so strong in its characters. It's not you know, like funny pop culture scenarios from the day. Like, you know, you might seem like an Adam Sandler movie making fun of, you know, I mean, if they were to write a movie today, it'd be, you know, all about like vaping, you know, how, Oh, isn't it funny? People vape or whatever, you know, uh, yeah. or, or, Hey, here's an Uber joke, you know, but Ghostbusters is, is character based. It's about these, you know, loser guys who try to start up a business. And that really, that, that is the, the core to the, the yeah. actual story. You know, everything else is set dressing. The stuff about Gozer and the mythology comes second. I to really that can't stuff. think of any jokes that are like specific to that era, to the mid eighties. Um, unless there's something that's no, just completely going no. over my head. Yeah. So, it is, it is timeless. That's why this movie so And it's, it's the, uh, watching it again today, I was looking at all the cameos that I didn't really notice before. And those cameos are really the only thing that yeah. dates it. And it's and not so much. Even you though. wouldn't notice because I don't know the cameos now. Like, yeah. I don't know who they are, but you can tell that they were cameos mm -hmm. back then. But that's yeah. still, it still doesn't take anything away, obviously, because I just don't know who they are. But I feel like I'm missing out on a couple jokes because of who's talking, but... I'll take it's, it. And with, yeah. with those cameos, too, it's not stuff that's, like, so strictly 80s. Like, Casey Kasem was doing stuff for decades. And then, uh, you know, Larry King right. is, like, still occasionally popping up in, in movies. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's something I'm leaving out there. But, uh, so... Ron Jeremy. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we haven't gotten to talk about that. But, um... <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, so those cameos aren't so overwhelming that it's like, okay, well, hey, there's like Jalil White or something. Uh, right. So. Oh, but wouldn't it be so cool if Jalil White was in this no. movie? Oh, well, I think that about everything. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, okay, great. Well, that's kind of your experience with Ghostbusters, and thank you for sharing that. Um, so I got a couple little pieces of trivia here from this minute. Uh, just basically like – Lewis is possessed by Vince Clortho at this moment, right? And the Tobin Spirit Guide lists Vince as a Class Six entity, and he's also listed as a possessor. Uh, so, 
he exhibits a couple of features of a typical possession case. So the in the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Church put together a kind of guide for demonic possession. And there were four traits that someone had to exhibit in order to be declared possessed. One, number one, is a manifestation of superhuman strength. We don't really see that here. I mean, he's kind of running around Central Park without really gasping for breath or anything. I mean, his looks a little disheveled, but you know, I guess there could be some in that. Uh, number two, speaking in tongues or a language that they cannot know. I don't think he does that. I know he says Zildohar Vilgoris or something at one point, but uh, I, I, maybe that counts. Uh, but then number three, revelation of knowledge of a past that they cannot know. And he definitely exhibits uh, some knowledge here in a minute of the past apocalypse scenarios that Gozer was involved in. And uh, number four would have to have a blasphemous rage or an aversion to religious relics. And we don't see that in the movie because for the most part, Ghostbusters doesn't really delve into any religious uh, mythology. And I think it's probably a better movie for that because when you – the Exorcist, I think, is maybe the only movie that was able to incorporate like religious iconography and mythology without becoming like completely cheesy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ghostbusters kind of it set up this weird mythology. There's a little bit of like Sumerian or Egyptian stuff going on, but beyond that, it really kind of you know was hands off. There's a moment in a second where Winston uh, is talking to Ray Stance if he you know is an atheist or not, and he says something like I never met him, and Winston says Oh, I love Jesus's style, and they mention Revelation, but it's kind of in this passing. They don't really go into it too much. You know, it's just like, oh, isn't that funny that the Bible says all this stuff about the end times? And hey, it, we never put together that we're experiencing something like that right now. But um, yeah, so I spent all last night looking up demonic possession and uh, doing a lot of research <laughs> on it, which I don't suggest because, that, you know, that's something that's weird. Like, I remember the first time I saw the a uh, commercial for The Exorcist, it was coming on TV. And it was like a seminal moment in my life of like seeing that. And you know, they actually in the trailer that they were showing, like, hey, it's the midnight movie or whatever. They actually showed like Reagan, like vomiting the pea soup and stuff. Yeah. And I remember my parents were out of town and I was with a babysitter and they were out of town for like a week. And she was with us and she was like a really strong Catholic. And I remember asking her like, well, that's that's not real. That's not something that happens, is it? And she was like, oh, there's been several cases of demonic possession. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it was actually don't, 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 say, uh, her name. don't say her name. How old was she? Uh, she was quite old. She was quite old. Uh, oh, even better, because then you know she's telling yeah. the truth. As a kid, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're like, that's the law. That is true. Well, the crazy part about it, too, is she was a pretty great babysitter. She babysat us a lot, and she was way into Star Trek and science and stuff like that, and she was always letting us watch Nova. Uh, as kids. So I took anything that she said, like you're saying there, anything she said was like God's honest truth. You know, like if she's talking about like, it's so bizarre. And I, that that same night though, was the first time I saw Jaws. So I'm watching Jaws. I see the kid get eaten at the beach and then it's followed up immediately by a trailer. for the (laughs) So it was definitely like one of the darkest nights of my life. um, Um, Some of the, uh, yeah, some of the uh, recent guests that we had weren't actually aware that Kyle and I are actually brothers. And so whenever he's talking about this babysitter, I'm trying to put together, like, which babysitter this would have been. Oh, I'll tell you. It was Miss Tucker. I don't think she's with us any longer, so I can tell you right now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you remember Miss Tucker? Of course you remember Miss Tucker. Yeah. She was a very nice lady, but this was was definitely a lapse in judgment for her to confirm that demonic possessions actually (laughs) That's so interesting to have. She has some real – she loves everything. Oh, she yes. wants to watch sci-fi and fantasy, but she's huge, hugely religious. Yeah. yeah. It was a strange dichotomy that made up a, a very interesting personality in our lives when we were younger. But uh, oh, definitely. I, I also, uh, really quick, I had to Google really fast because I couldn't remember the name of the actor. But when you said it would be funny for a cameo of G- Jaleel White. Yeah. 
Carl Winslow was in it. Oh my god! Oh my god! I didn't so put that together. Was That's a right. Family Matters, but I couldn't remember Reginald L. Johnson's name, so I yeah. had to look it up. But I thought it was funny that you said Joel, and I was like, "Oh no, he's totally there." Is a Family Matters guy in there? He's the jailer. I didn't even think about that. It's so crazy that he's he's so good at being like the cop in and the eighties. You know that he is in Die Hard, and then he goes on to be yeah, uh, Carl Winslow. Yeah, and that's his Matters. third part ever. Really, really. So he was only in two other movies before that. I'm I'm on IMDb right now. I'm yeah. not this smart. <laughs> um, so did did he play cops in previous movies? I guess that's my big question. Yeah, it looks like it. Jail wow. guard, morgue attendant. Uh, let's see. <laughs> A captain, which and a detective, a sergeant. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like you're the head of the uh, Reginald Bell Johnson fan club or something. Right, uh, <laughs> guys. I'm only on this podcast to talk about Family Matters. <laughs> Tricked you. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of lot of detective and lieutenants. But anyway, yes, that uh, your babysitter is very cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was she was pretty crazy. Yeah, but you know, um. So the original. Oh, go ahead, no, no, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that this this is not um, the original designs for Vince Clortho uh, as a entity. I know we had him in terror dog form earlier, but uh, he was kind of this like short, dumpy little guy because originally he was going to be played by John Candy. So they wanted it to be kind of like a manifestation of what John Candy would look like as like a, a ghost or a spook or whatever. So they had him as kind of this little a buffoon, and we've noticed. Uh, previously that Vince Clortho is kind of um, an idiot, I guess, is the best way to put him. You know, like he's as terror dog form. He's like bumping his head into walls and he's like, you know, knocking over tables and stuff like that. He's not as articulate as Zool might have been like Zool had her mission to possess Dana Barrett and she accomplished it very yeah, shortly. Vince is like running but mm-hmm. between people and knocking them over and across the street. Yeah, he's a real buffoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, so. I loved it. Oh, and I loved love that my minute starts with what an asshole yeah. <laughs> the best beginning yeah. of anything i could ever ask you for. Know the, um, so this is go, go ahead damn it <laughs> you know what i was just gonna i was just gonna uh talk about the term asshole and how it's changed throughout the years so why don't you go ahead and say that and i'll just hold on say, to my asshole, say here what? For a minute, asshole? Okay? no i mean like how asshole used to be a term like for a buffoon or an idiot you know, and like over the years, it's translated. When you call someone an asshole these days, like they are just like a jerk, you know, like. Right. Yeah. But it's really weird here. I think this is kind of like the turning point of when asshole might have been well, used for like. I tell you what, you that, that statement and that topic is, is is more interesting than my observation of the fact that there is a uh, extra sitting next to the building uh, in the first shot of this minute. So I saw that as well. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. It's so there's a homeless person whenever the paddy wagon pulls up to the right hand side of the screen. And I couldn't tell for at first if it was like a pipe or like a bag or like a trash can or something like that. But then later on in one of the uh, – I think it's our last moment, uh, minute minute number 64, before Walter Peck shows up, it's just a side of a building with nothing there. We, so, we, yes, they uh, had an extra – Assume that it's a homeless person because they're sitting next to a building, correct? Uh, I mean in the middle of the <laughs> yeah. night in New York, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know what tra- – Guys, I'm the New York expert here. Let yes. me tell you, no one sits on the floor in New York. It's just <laughs> pee and poop and rat blood everywhere. Oh like just, it, you don't sit on the ground. If someone's sitting on the ground, they're crazy, homeless, 
or more tired than I will ever Dude, understand. A few years ago, I was because uh, Kyle and I live um, about sixty minutes away from New Orleans, and I was walking down Bourbon Street with some friends, and there was a girl in like a skirt who was sitting on the ground, and the skirt was clearly <gasps> like up nope, around, so nope. her bare bottom was on Bourbon Street, no. like in the gutter. And no, I've never been there, but it is. Ugh. Yes. Ugh. Ew. No, there's like an entirely different strain of UTI that you can get in New Orleans. <laughs> it's nowhere else in the world. No, yeah. I think I think you would have been completely in the right to just throw her over your shoulder and say you're coming with me and just like take her to a park bench and yeah. lay her down. God, when I went to New Orleans, I wore a uh, one of those sick masks over my vagina to protect anything from getting in there. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, so, so, so you got you got our state funded tour guide video. Okay, great. Yes. Yeah. I, love, I learned. I love New Orleans, but Bourbon Street is its own. It's cut off, man. It is its own world from everything. It's, yeah, uh, it's a strange place. Very unique place. It's yeah, like a, uh, Times Square. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> very yeah. special. Uh, well, no, it's not like Times Square. It's very different <laughs> than Times Square. It's yeah. just, that's like our Bourbon Street of like, no one goes there. And the people that do go there and are asking for directions there are not from here. <laughs> Good Lord. Well, you know, uh, the thing about like the um, salad uh, colander, I always, that is in this minute, correct? Yeah. Yes, I yes. I thought uh, that was just a little too homemade looking, a little too unbelievable. And there's something else in this movie that uh, is part of their um, gear that I, I can't think of at the moment. But I always thought just the solid calendar with like the leads hooked up to it was just a little too uh, goofy. See, that's kind of one thing that I, I, I actually like about it. And I like about all of Ghostbusters is it looks like this stuff was just made out of whatever yeah, but was lying around. You don't think around. that's like a little and, too far? Well, it is a little bit cartoony compared to what the proton packs look like, but at the same time, uh, Egon's the kind of guy who uh, I think he and Ray are smart enough to just grab a, a nickel-plated colander and hook some leads up to it. It's believable within yeah. the universe, but it is something that you would. It is a little, you know, uh, Warner Brothers cartoonish, I guess, to a degree. But it makes cosplay easy. <laughs> it does. Yes, I was about to say I was. I was at a thing a couple weeks ago, and there was a Dana Lewis couple in in front of me in line getting into the place, and uh, it was. It's amazing how easy it is. Like you're saying, cosplay, just attach that thing on, you know, get some wires that don't work anymore, paint them, and put it on there. And it's immediately Good. identifiable as, you know, as the key master. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I like that. And that's something I did appreciate about the 2016 Ghostbusters is that they continued on that tradition of, you know, when you see Holtzman's uh, laboratory there, it's just a bunch of crap that they found and threw together, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right. That's the best. And that's honestly, when you, when I look back at all the movies, I really appreciate like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, things like that. Movies from the late seventies and early eighties, they really did so much prop work that nothing could ever, it can't ever look yeah. old yeah, because mm -hmm. it's real stuff. It's no, no computer things. No, just uh, ugh. like, I don't know if you guys have watched volcano recently. <laughs> Believe it or not, I haven't. Uh, I watched that and it's, not it's terrible but i was so scared of it when it first came out but it just doesn't hold up if you don't have good stuff and man puppets and <laughs> court colanders that's yeah. how you go <laughs> it really is i mean it has a it has a weight to it now yeah, as much as i love and I, I really do a movie like tron legacy for the aesthetics of it it's a beautiful gorgeous movie all that stuff looks so futuristic it's gonna be a while till we catch up to it but eventually we will be at a point where tron legacy will just look kind it'll of look like, like it'll look like to us today probably which Oh, so you mean so yeah, awesome? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, Tron minutes coming at some point yeah. in the future. So, which um, I, I I don't really hold against well, it. You know, that's nothing you can hold against a movie if it's gonna look retro one day. But uh, it is what it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anybody have anything else for that's minute number sixty here? I think that's it for me, too. Okay, great. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up, folks, and uh, join us again for minute number 61 tomorrow. Crystal Beth will be our guest for that, as she will every minute this week, and we thank her so much for being here. So, uh, Crystal, thanks, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, I'm looking forward to it. Join us tomorrow for minute number 61 with our special guest, Crystal Beth. For Brady, for Crystal, and myself, Kyle, here to remind you that death is but a door, time a window. We'll be back. Ghostbusters Minute is a fan-supported podcast. To become a patron of Ghostbusters Minute and gain access to exclusive weekly bonus content, visit us at patreon.com slash gbminute. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at ghostbustersminute at gmail.com and visit us online at ghostbustersminute.com, facebook.com slash ghostbustersminute, twitter.com slash gbminute, and look us up on Instagram at ghostbustersminute. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Audionautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License.